One thing that, uh, that it took me a little while to learn how to do was water skiing. Um, how many of you have been water skiing? By the way, that's not a picture of me. Um, that's, uh, yeah, clearly way beyond my skill level there. But, uh, but you know, when I was, um, for those of you who haven't done water skiing before, basically you put these skis on your feet in the water, right, instead of on, on the slopes, and you're floating there in the lake or river, and there's this rope that's attached to a motorboat, and you hold onto the rope while the motorboat takes off and pulls you up onto your skis. And there you are, you're kind of following behind, skiing behind the boat. Again, this guy, clearly a talented water skier. And you know, it sounds maybe a little bit kind of simple at first, but it took me forever to learn how to do this. Um, the key to getting up successfully in water skiing is to let the boat do the work. Um, and so you're supposed to just kind of lean back and let the boat pull you up, right, onto your skis. My problem is that I could not do that. And I would constantly be trying to pull myself up with that rope and would constantly be falling into my face um, and, and pulled behind the boat, dragging myself. And, and, and man, it just took me so many times trying to get up on these water skis that uh, I, I finally realized that what I needed to do was to let go of control, let go of trying to pull myself up and instead just sit back and let that boat pull me up out of the water. And when I did that, when I finally just calmed down and let go and allowed it to pull me, I was able to water ski. I was, had this amazing experience skiing all around the lake. Um, we are going through this sermon series called David, A Man After God's Own Heart. And what we're, seeing, we're gonna see in today's text is that David is in a situation where he is tempted to force a situation to try to take control of something, um, kind of like I was doing with water skiing, right? That I was trying to pull myself up. I was trying to force that situation. But we're going to see that David, in this situation, he lets go of control. He doesn't try to force it. Um, and, in, and he leaves things in God's hands, similar to, to me learning that I needed to let the boat pull me up rather than trying to pull myself up. Um, and so my, my sermon title today is Letting Go of Control. We're going to look at how, how David let go of, of trying to control the situation that he was in and, and then thinking a little bit about what that means in our lives. Uh, what does it look like to try to, to, to actually let go of control um, in our lives as well? So our text today is um, in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 24. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 22. It's on page 209 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Um, and just to kind of give a little context again to today's passage, uh, two weeks ago when I, when I preached the last message in this series, um, we, we, were, we saw that David was, was on the run from King Saul. Uh, King Saul was, was chasing him down, trying to kill him. And, and while David was on the run, he went into this cave, the cave of Adullam. And there in that cave, this community formed around him, right? The community of the broken that we talked about two weeks ago. And, and so David, eventually, he left that cave with that community and he traveled around. And kind of in the next couple chapters, we see just this process of, of Saul continuing to hunt David down, trying to get him. And he goes away for a little bit and fights the Philistines, but then he's right back at it, trying to chase down David. And so in today's text, we're going to see that David comes face to face with Saul, they encounter each other after this kind of long uh, chasing one another around. And, and we're going to see that in this text, again, David is faced with this question of whether to force things, to try to make things happen, 
um, or to let go of control and to trust the Lord. So um, 1 Samuel 24, beginning with verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in that cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift up my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we study this passage, Lord, as we 
as we allow it to really uh, speak into our hearts, God, we pray that you would do that, that you, your, your spirit would, would convict us where that's needed, would encourage us where that's needed. Lord, would, would, uh, would just speak your word to us in a very personal way, God, and, uh, and draw us closer to you, uh, to your grace and, and to following you more clearly in our lives. So lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at, um, at, at David in this, in this passage and how he lets go of control in this, in this passage, I want to look at three aspects of letting go of control that we see in, in what David does here. And the first thing that we see is that letting go of control is countercultural. That letting go of control is, is countercultural. It goes against the grain in our culture, you know, I think especially in our, in our American culture. Um, in our society, we value people who take control, uh, generally. You know, we, we favor people who, who take charge, who make things happen, who create their own destiny. Um, one of the, the, the most successful and longest-running reality TV series is the series Survivor. Um, and as you see here, it just started its 43rd season. It's been going for a long time. Um, and there's something about this show, right, that people are drawn to it. To it. Um, and as you can see from the logo, the whole premise of the show is to outwit, outplay, and outlast your competitors um, to become the sole survivor in the show. And so in this show, you know, the people who, who take charge, the people who are wily and tricky and right, are able to kind of um, dupe their, their, their opponents, right, they are able to go farther in the show, right? When you take advantage of the competition and, and you try to, 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 to do what, what's best for yourself, right? You, you, you go further in this show. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of how things sometimes work in our world too, isn't it? In the corporate world, the most successful people are often those who are driven, who, who take control of situations, who will exploit the weaknesses of the competition, who are willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead, right? To try to, to, to get their, their way. And in our, in our text, we see a great example of this in King Saul. This is what Saul does. Um, he's a great example of someone who's trying to take control of his own destiny. He is set on destroying David. And in verse 2 of our text, we read, Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men. Talk about trying to control things, right? Saul takes 3,000 men to try to hunt David down. Um, and so although God had made it very clear that David was going to be king, Saul, he doesn't want that. He wants to try to force his own agenda. And he is obsessed with trying to eliminate the challenge that David posed to him. So he says, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to force this thing. I'm going to get rid of David so I can stay in power. Well, during his search for David, nature calls. And, uh, and Saul needs to relieve himself in the cave. Um, and so it just so happens, though, that the very cave that, that Saul enters to go, uh, to go do his business uh, is, is the very cave that David and his men are hiding in. Amazing, right? And Saul picks that cave. Can you imagine what, what that must have felt like for David and his men? Right? This guy who has been hunting them down just entered their cave all by himself, completely unaware of them. And he is in about the most vulnerable position you can imagine, literally with his pants down, right? <laughs> Caught with his pants down. He's, he's there, right? And man, 
In verse 4, David's men say to him, this is the day the Lord spoke of. When he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. They say, David, come on, open your eyes. This is the perfect opportunity. You can take out Saul, right? Grab what's rightfully yours, David. It's going to make our lives a whole lot easier if we can just take this guy out. We don't have to be running for our lives anymore. And so David's men, their response, it reflects what our culture often says, which is you need to take control. When you have an opportunity to make things happen for yourself, you got to just take it no matter what, right? Do whatever it takes to get ahead. This idea of, of the idea of letting go of an opportunity like this is completely countercultural. It doesn't make any sense, right? Why would you do that? And Saul himself actually says to David in verse 19, he says, when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? The, the obvious answer is no, of course not. You find your enemy and you have a chance to take him out, you take him out. And the same thing goes for, for other situations that we might find ourselves in. You know, our culture says when you have an opportunity to advance yourself in the company, you take it. Doesn't matter if you step on some people on your way to the top, you just, you do what it takes to advance, right? Or maybe you have an opportunity to get even with someone who hurt you, to take revenge. Our culture says if you can get even, do it. Take that revenge. Or when you see something or someone that you want, the expected response in our culture is you go and get it. Do what feels right. Do whatever it takes. The idea of waiting, of delayed gratification, of restraint, is very unpopular. And so letting go of control, choosing not to grasp for what you want, is countercultural. It doesn't make a lot of sense in our world. So why would you do that? Why would you do what David did here? Why would you not grab for what you want when you have the opportunity? Why does David let go of this opportunity? Well, because the second thing that we see in our text about letting go of control is that letting go of control shows real strength. Letting go of control shows real strength. David creeps towards Saul unnoticed. And, and, and for a moment, as you're reading this text, right, it says he, he, he crept towards Saul and you start to wonder, maybe he's going to do it. Maybe he's going to kill him. But instead, what does David do? He cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. So he holds back, right? He, does, he shows him mercy. He doesn't kill him. But it's interesting that even this act of cutting off the corner of Saul's robe makes David conscience stricken, is what the passage says. Um, and in verse 6, David says to his men, he says, The Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. You see, David sees Saul as the Lord's anointed. That Saul was the one whom God had chosen and anointed to be king of Israel. And so even though Saul has been hunting him down, David could not justify harming the one whom God had anointed. Even by this act of cutting his robe, he saw as an act of disrespect against the king that David actually regretted doing. And so David let go of his desire for revenge he was willing to submit himself to God's plan, to God's timing, and that takes strength. 
That takes real strength, right? It would have been so much easier for David to just kill Saul in that moment and to claim the crown and to just be done with all the running and the hiding. It was a way more difficult path to let go of revenge and to continue to wait on God's timing on when God wanted David to become king. That was a, that was a much harder decision to do. It took a lot more strength for David to let go of control than if he had taken matters into his own hands. As I was thinking about this idea of how, of how letting go of control shows real strength, um, I started to think about the civil rights movement in our nation as, as an example of, whoop, there we go, whoop, okay, I, sorry about that. <laughs> um, I was thinking about the civil rights movement in our nation. Um, you know, there were some groups at that time that, that wanted to change things through violence, wanted to change things through force, that wanted to, to, to force a change. Um, and, but the leaders of the civil rights movement, like, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, he chose to use nonviolent protest and civil disobedience through boycotts and sit-ins and marches. And those practices, they showed a much greater strength of character than if the movement had used violence or had, had tried to just force an end to segregation, right? The, the, the choice to say, I'm going to, going to protest, but doing it in a nonviolent way, right? I'm going to sit in here and allow people to attack me, right? That showed a lot more strength, right? Than, than just sort of trying to lash out. Now, on the other hand, those who resisted the civil rights demonstrators at the time, they often turned to violence and force. And so in, in Birmingham, Alabama, in 1963, the local authorities unleashed police dogs and fire hoses against the marching students, which was televised nationally and led to public outrage at what was happening. And so what you saw in, in this moment was that the tactics of control and power and force actually ended up losing to the tactics of nonviolence, persistence and patience that you saw from the civil rights demonstrators the nonviolent protesters ended up showing actually a much greater strength than those who opposed them through violence, that opposed them through force. So what led those civil rights protesters to let go of revenge and to reject the path of violence and control? Why did David let go of revenge against Saul? Well, in both cases, I think the motivation was rooted in Submitting to God's word and trusting in God's justice. That the reason that they were willing to let go of control was by submitting to God's word and trusting in God's justice. How do we see that in David's life? Well, when Saul leaves the cave, David comes out and he calls out to Saul, my Lord, the king. Right? David bows down to Saul showing him reverence because he is still the Lord's anointed. In verse 10, David says, This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. So why did David choose not to kill Saul? It was because he was submitting to God's word. He was submitting to the fact that God had anointed Saul as king. And so even though Saul was a horrible king and he was making David's life a nightmare, David refused to take things into his own hands and go against what God had said. 
right? God's declaration that Saul was king until, until Saul was gone, right? Many of the civil rights protesters and demonstrators in the 1960s, many of them were Christians. Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor, right? And, and many of them were motivated by their actions by also submitting to God's word as well. Because they believed that God's word told them they were to love their enemies. Like we heard in, in the scripture reading that, that Amanda read earlier from Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. They believed in what Paul wrote in our other scripture reading from Romans 12, where Paul says, do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. They believed that, that actually the answer to, to addressing evil was not to fight it with more evil, but to fight it actually with good. And Martin Luther King Jr. said, man must evolve for all human conflict, a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. And so the leaders of the civil rights movement, they, they submitted to God's word, which calls us to love our neighbor and love our, even our enemy. And they refused to go against God's word by taking things into their own hands by violence or revenge, trying to force things. They also trusted in God's justice because they believed that if they continued to submit to God's word, refusing to give in to hate and evil, they would eventually be vindicated. They trusted in God's justice. God's justice would eventually be done. Again, in our, our scripture reading from Romans 12, verse 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's what they believed, right? That it wasn't their job to try to seek revenge and, and, and take, uh, take vengeance against their enemies. But they said, it's God's ultimate his role. So they were willing to leave things into God's hands. And David had the same perspective, right? He says to Saul in verses 11 and 12, now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And so he says, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. David's perspective was, it wasn't his job to enact justice and vengeance against Saul. He was trusting that it was, it was, it was God's job to do that. He's going to leave it in the Lord's hands. And so he's confident that he was being faithful to God. He would not wrong Saul. Saul had wronged David. And so David's trusting in God's justice that God would avenge those wrongs that had been done to him. That, that just as God had anointed Saul, that one day God would remove Saul. And give the kingdom to David, just as, as, as he had promised him. And so because David trusted in God's justice and God's timing, he was able to let go of trying to force that justice through his own power. So let me ask you a question. Do we have the same reverence for God's word that we're willing to submit to it even when that's hard? Do we have the same reverence and honor for God's word that we're willing to submit to it? even when it's hard? Do we trust in God's justice, in God's timing? I know that I don't always, if I'm honest, that, that there are times where I, I want to take things into my own hands. That when someone hurts me, my tendency is I want to lash back at them, right? 
I want to, I want to say some hurtful words back. I, I want to hold a grudge against them. When it seems like God is, is telling me to wait for something and, and, I am, and I want it to happen right now, I can get impatient and sometimes try to force it. It's, it's not easy to let go of control in those situations, to stop grasping for what you think you need and to wait on God's timing. And the truth is that really none of us are able to do this perfectly, if we're honest. But there's one person who did. Jesus did. Jesus, he submitted to God's word perfectly. In the wilderness, what did Satan tempt him to do? Satan tempted Jesus to take things into his own hands, to take a shortcut, to get all the kingdoms of this world by just bowing down to him. What was Satan doing? He was tempting Jesus to take control, to get what he wanted, but by doing that, to go against God's word. Just like David was tempted to take a shortcut, right? To take, take out Saul. But Jesus refused. He was submitted to God's word, to the Father's will, and he said, no, I will not take the shortcut. I'm going to walk the slower, painful path of suffering to the cross to gain the whole world rather than the shortcut of bowing down to Satan. He trusted in God's timing. Jesus He was mistreated, he was persecuted, but he never lashed back in revenge. He never took revenge on the ones who were persecuting him. Even when he was hanging on the cross, he prayed for the people who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus trusted in the Father's justice. He trusted that he would be vindicated by being raised to life after death. And he was. See, Jesus trusted in the Father's timing. He didn't rush it, but he also didn't lag behind. He didn't try to establish his kingdom through force and violence, but he actually established his kingdom through suffering, the suffering of the cross. Jesus let go of the world's way, the world's way of saying, you take what you want You do it through your own force and your own control. No, Jesus actually showed real strength through what looked like weakness. Looked like weakness, but he was showing the greatest strength possible. And why did he do that? He did it for us. He did it to save us. He did it to forgive us. And that leads to the last thing that we we see about letting go in this passage which is that letting go of control impacts others. That when we let go of control, it has an impact. Um, When David let go of revenge and didn't try to take the crown for himself, you see what happened to Saul? It impacted Saul, right? After David tells Saul what, what he did and why he did it, the text says that Saul wept aloud. In verse 17, he says to David, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. David had spared Saul's life, and that impacted Saul, at least for the moment. (laughs) It doesn't have a lasting impact, unfortunately, for Saul. But in that moment, it showed him his own sin, right? It showed him what he was actually doing. And it actually led Saul to praise David, 
In verse 20, he says, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. You see, Saul actually admits that David deserves to be king. When he looks at himself, he recognizes he doesn't deserve it. David does because of what David has just done. The very thing that Saul has been working so hard to prevent, he actually says, I I know it's going to happen, David. He couldn't help but be impacted by the powerful actions of David, of David letting go of control and not taking revenge on him. In the the civil rights movement, the act of letting go of violence and overcoming evil with with good had an incredible impact in our nation. It became glaringly clear that segregation was evil. And, and, and change began to be implemented to give equal rights to African-Americans. Now, not everyone's perspective was changed immediately. But many were impacted by the actions of those who were willing to undergo suffering for a righteous cause. In order to bring freedom to people who were oppressed. And it impacted that action of not choosing the violent way, but choosing the way of, of submission. It impacted the, our nation. Changed things dramatically. Jesus' act of letting go had the greatest impact in all the world. When Jesus was willing to not take the road of of revenge and forcing things, but allowing himself to be crucified, to suffer on the cross, what happened? That act opened up the opportunity for all of us to be saved, for us to be forgiven of our sin, to have eternal life. His suffering in our place, like the suffering of the civil rights movement, Protesters opened up the path to to freedom from oppression. Jesus' act of of suffering opened up the, the, the opportunity for spiritual freedom from the oppression of sin, the oppression of death. And just like when like like Saul, when we look at what Jesus did in our place, what he did for us, we can't help but say, Jesus, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. We can put ourselves in Saul's shoes right there and say, you know, we, we have sinned against God. God has every right to take revenge on us, to wipe us out, just like David had every right to wipe out Saul. But David showed Saul mercy and God has shown us mercy through Jesus. And when we grasp that act of mercy toward us, it will impact our lives, just like David's act impacted Saul that it should lead us to praise Jesus, to declare that he is king, just like Saul declared that, David, you deserve to be king, right? We should say, Jesus, you are way more righteous than I am. I always take control, but you didn't take control. You, you, you showed mercy to me. And that should lead us to trust him, to trust him, to trust that he's forgiven us, to trust that he's saved us, but also to trust him in situations when we are tempted to take control. So when someone hurts us and we're tempted to say, I want to hurt them back, we can trust that God sees that situation. And so we don't need to take things into our own hands. We can trust it into his hands. We can trust that he will accomplish justice. When we're tempted to force a situation to go ahead of God's timing, to go against God's word, to get what we want, we can let go and trust that the God who who gave his only son for us, the Savior who laid down his life for us, guess what? Can we trust that he's going to provide for us too? 
Yes, we can. We can. We can trust his timing. We can trust his guidance. He showed how much he loves us through the cross. And as we start to do that in our lives, to let go of control and to trust God's timing and to start loving our enemies rather than taking revenge, guess what it's going to do? That is going to impact others around us too. You see, God can use us as witnesses of the power that comes when we trust him and leave things in his hands because it is so countercultural, right? When we start to do that in our culture, that is good. people are going to take notice of that. What, you're not just grasping for what you want? You're not just taking revenge? See, God can use us then to point people to him, to the one who gave everything also for them. That our example of letting go of control might also actually lead to others letting go of control as well and maybe trusting in Jesus and what he's done for them. You know, when I finally learned how to water ski, I got so excited because I finally got it, right? I suddenly understood, oh, it's all about letting go of control, letting the boat pull me up. And when that happened, I just wanted to water ski all the time because it was so much fun to do that. And I wanted to, to, to teach other people how to water ski too. I wanted them to experience the, the, the freedom that comes of, of letting go and letting it, letting it pulled up. I finally understood, oh, the key is to let the boat do the work. And I wanted other people to experience that too. When we have the experience of the joy of letting God pull us up, of letting him lead in our lives and trusting in his timing instead of trying to force things ourselves, it should lead us to say, I want other people to experience this too. I want them to experience the joy of trusting God and seeing him provide and seeing him work things out in his timing. It should lead us to want to share that good news with others. We're going to want others to experience the same freedom that, we have, that, that we've experienced of letting go of revenge or letting go of control or living life according to our ideas. We will want others to experience the joy of trusting in the living God and seeing where he takes us. So brothers and sisters, let's let go of control. Let's trust the Lord, trust his justice, trust his timing, trust his salvation. And as we trust him, Let's invite others along with us to experience the joy of letting go of control and trusting him in their lives as well. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are often like Saul in this passage, that we, that we want something and, and we just are trying everything we can to get it and, and we're not trusting in your timing. We're not trusting in your ways, Lord. And we just... Confess, God, the ways that we do that in our lives, the ways that we fail to trust you and the ways we maybe are, we want to take revenge, we want to try to make things happen. Forgive us for this, Lord, we pray. Even right now, Lord, in, in, in the midst of this, this, this time of prayer, just, we just lift those things up to you even right now, just to confess that, Lord, the ways that we've been trying to do this in different situations in our lives. And we just confess that to you and ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you, God, that, that you don't treat us as we deserve, that, that you don't punish us, that you don't take revenge upon us, that you, don't, that you don't destroy us in our sin, Lord, 
but that you are a merciful God, that you are even great, show even greater mercy than David showed to Saul. And Lord, you are way more righteous than we are. You are way more forgiving and gracious and merciful than we are. And we thank you and we praise you for being this God who, who forgives us and, and, and who has saved us. We thank you, Jesus, for doing this perfectly in our place. And we pray that, that as we receive that forgiveness and that grace today from you, that that, that that would cause us to trust you, Lord, in those situations. To trust that you're good. You have our good in mind. That we can wait on your timing. That we can wait on your justice rather than trying to to enact our own justice, God, that we would, would wait on you and that we would invite others to experience the joy of waiting on you too. Do that in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.